thank you for your faithfulness to the house of the Lord today. I'm going to take a turn today from Colossians, and we may get back to that at a future time. Much of chapter 4 is a, of Colossians is a, some farewell things and some final instructions, but good things, but I felt the Lord leading to move in a different direction today, and I'm going to read one verse of scripture today. Genesis chapter 6, verse number 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I want to preach to you today on this thought, standing in faith. Standing in faith. There are depictions of Noah's ark that you will find in non-Christian stores. You can find these depictions as a party barge. And we've talked a little bit about this, that the, that the ark is looked at as a fun and exciting children's event animals. It's like going to the zoo, Noah's Ark. It's, you know, see some cool animals and decorate your room with, with animals and the, the Ark. And However, what I would tell you is that the Ark was not a fun thing for the majority of people. And I would even doubt that it was a fun thing for Noah, but it was a necessary thing. Where well, you see, God had spoken the worlds into existence in Genesis chapter 1, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters, and then God begins to speak, and planets appear, and the waters are separated from the dry ground, and He speaks the birds and the plants and the trees into existence and animals into existence and then he fashions man from the dust of the earth as he takes dirt and he begins to form man and he creates Adam by forming him and he breathes into Adam and he becomes a living soul. Creation, God's masterpiece and man looked at as the the high point of that creation experience because God doesn't just speak him into existence like he did everything else. He doesn't just command him to live, but he breathes into him and he becomes a living soul. But only two chapters later, after chapter 2 spells out in more detail what God has done in chapter 1, that Adam and Eve in the garden, they sin and they disobey God and they eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it is referred to as the fall. Not, not a fall, but it is the fall. It is the, the first uh, of fall of humankind and it set the trajectory and the pattern for what was going to come. With each succeeding generation, there, were, there was more and more sin. From Adam and Eve's disobedience and eating a piece of fruit until the second generation of Cain and Abel and Cain killing Abel because God doesn't 
accept his sacrifice, but he has accepted Abel's sacrifice and murder enters onto the scene and then Cain is replaced in the lineage that we see of the, the bloodline of the righteous. Cain is, or Abel rather, is replaced by Seth. Seth now that second generation and then you have Enos and then Kenan and the Mahalal and Jared and Enoch. The Bible would say of Enoch that he walked with God and was not because God took him. And then following Enoch, that righteous man was Methuselah, the man who would live to be the oldest in human history at 969 years. He passes away, but before he passes away, he has a son and a grandson. His son would be called Lamech, and it is this man who was the father of Noah. With each succeeding generation, more and more sin, and fewer and fewer people who would stand in faith for the God of the Old Testament, who would stand for what God, the Creator, had believed in and had ordained and what He had wanted. We get to Noah, and Noah the Bible says, found favor. And then God, in the middle of him finding favor and finding fault with all of the debauchery and the sin of the world, says, I'm going to wipe everybody out. I'm going to kill kill off all humans except for Noah and his immediate family. In our world around us, there has been a cultural descent from Judeo-Christian values into sin and debauchery. The world is growing worse and worse, and there are some that would say that, well, things are getting better, and when we get good enough, then God will come back. But the Bible tells us that it's not going to get better and better. It is going to get worse and worse. In fact, the Bible uses that, that it will grow worse and worse. And Jesus prophesied that sin would be prevalent and sin would be all around us and it would be just like the days of Noah. That when Jesus gets ready to come back, it's going to be just like the days of Noah and just like the flood. He would say in Matthew 24, for in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. They didn't know what was coming. They had heard a message, but they didn't believe it, and they continued to go on their pattern and continued to live their life and continued to sin. Or Luke 17, which echoes this, Luke 17, 27, they were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. The more sin that you see in the world, the reality is this, that the more we are becoming like the days of Noah, which means the closer we are getting to the coming of Jesus Christ. That just like it was then, when Jesus comes the second time, it's going to be like that. They're going to be going about their business. They're going to be living lives of sin and debauchery. And that means that the more sin is prevalent around us the more that we need to stand in faith like Noah. 
the more that we need to stand up and, and be counted as people of God and stand up and live like Jesus wants us to live, to stand in faith like Noah did. So what does it mean to stand in faith and how can we ensure that we do stand in faith? What happens if we don't stand in faith? Is it a big deal if we aren't people of faith? Is it a big deal if we don't stand like God has called us to do? Maybe more importantly, what happens if we do stand in faith? What are we going to get and what are we going to gain? And what kind of blessings are we going to get? And what is the outcome of us living as people of faith in a world full of sin? There is... A number, there are, I should say, a number of things that I want to pull out of the story of Noah and make it parallel to our day. The first thing and the first way in which we stand in faith is this, is that we must stand in righteousness. Genesis 6-9, the verse after what I read to you at the beginning, said, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was righteous. Noah was blameless. He was the only one. And when we stand in faith and we are standing as people of God, that that means that we stand in righteousness. That means that while the world is sinful and corrupt, we follow God's path. We follow God's way. We follow God's word. We follow God's law. We we do the things that he has called us to do. We live as examples of what it means to be born again. We live as examples of what it means to be a child of God. The world was sinful and corrupt, but Noah was righteous. Noah was a man of righteousness And righteousness ultimately could be defined in a number of ways. Sometimes people would define righteousness as the good things that you do or the bad things that you don't do. And both of them play into that definition, but ultimately righteousness is to be like God, to live holy like He is holy, to live in a way that is pleasing to Him. That means there are things that we do that nobody else does because we're living righteously and we are standing in righteousness. And there are other things that we don't do that everybody else does because we are standing in righteousness and we are seeking to be holy and righteous before God. The Bible would say that when you get the Holy Ghost, it is righteousness, peace, and joy. It is the Spirit making us righteous and the Spirit making us holy and we get peace with God and we get joy unspeakable and full of glory when we are filled with His Spirit and it enables us to live in a way that's different from everybody else. It's not just willpower, it's spirit power. It's not just, well, I I think I want to do this, but it's like I'm doing this because God has called me to do this and I'm living this way because He has empowered me to do it and I can be an overcomer. I can live in righteousness. I can stand for Him and be different from the world and be different than everybody else. We don't want to be countercultural just to be countercultural. That just because the world may be for something doesn't mean we have to be against it. 
or just because the world is against something doesn't mean that we have to be for it. But anywhere where culture and the Bible disagree, then we are to be countercultural and we are to follow the Word of God and to live as the Word of God would lead and the Word of God would guide us. Now, I realize we have a lot of generations here. The older you are, the more you've seen the world descend into chaos and descend into sin. The younger you are, the more you just be, are, it's like, this is just the way things are. And the younger you are, the more you are taught that things that God says are wrong are okay. The younger you are, the more that you hear it in school and you hear it from your peers and you hear it on social media and it's like these things that the Bible would say are wrong, that you're taught it's, it's okay. The Bible speaks to that as well. Isaiah 5 and 20 would say it this, What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil. That dark is light and light is dark. That bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. That we are living in a day where good is called bad and bad is called good. And celebration of that which is evil and that which the Bible would say is an abomination to God. We, we celebrate that in our culture. And to that extent, we are called to be countercultural and to live differently and to stand in righteousness before our God. And would you give our great God a hand clap of praise? And that's good stuff, whether you agree with it or not. But I believe you do. Because of the time, let me hurry. Not only are we to stand in righteousness, but we are to stand alone if necessary. Nobody likes to stand alone. Nobody likes to do something by themselves. Whether it's something bad, as they say, misery loves company, or it's something good, you want to do it and celebrate and be with somebody else. There's something about standing alone. Noah standing alone. Noah found favor. He says he is the only one righteous and blameless. Verse 11, now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence, and God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them, and behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. God looked, and everyone Sinning. Everyone is living in a way that is antithetical to their Creator. God destroyed everyone else because Noah alone was righteous and Noah alone was blameless. Nobody likes to be alone. Anthony told me. My son, for those of you who don't know, he told me about a study that he came upon 
and I may mess up some of the details, but the study was, was this, and I, I will do it in generalities because I know I will mess up the specifics. But they were doing an experiment and a study and had a, a, a large number of people, well, medium-sized, 20 or 30 people maybe, that they brought into a room and were going to put a question to them with an obvious answer. That anybody with no preparation could answer this question. It was a question of just fact of, is this line longer than this line? Unbeknownst to one of the people in the room, they had talked to everybody else that was going to be there and told them that when the question is asked, choose the wrong answer. Choose the answer that is not right. They're all in the room and they ask the question. It's an obvious answer. The person who doesn't know, when asked, gives the correct answer. Everybody else in the room, when they're asked, they give the wrong answer. After a period of time at looking around and looking at everybody else, and in fact, they're so positive about this wrong answer that the person who had not been coached on what to do agreed with the wrong answer, even though they knew it wasn't right. Because everybody else gave the wrong answer. I would tell you that that's where you and I are. We're living in a world where everybody else is doing the wrong thing. And it's difficult to live like God wants us to live. It's difficult to stand up for righteousness. It's difficult when we're doing it because we are alone and you're the only one on your job or the only one in your class or only one at school that is trying to live different and trying to follow God or has this belief because the Bible says this belief is true or whatever it is. When you stand alone, it's difficult, but standing in faith says it doesn't matter who else agrees with the Word of God. It doesn't matter what other people are doing, but I will stand alone if necessary because I am standing in faith and I am believing God. I'm in a room of people today who want to please Him and want to live for Him. And we're in various stages of understanding what that means and what that looks like. But I would tell you, you can stand for Him if you have the power of the Spirit in your life. You can stand alone if necessary. If nobody else agrees with you on your job or at school or in your family, you can stand in faith and you can do it alone if necessary. Thirdly, we are not only to stand in righteousness or to stand alone if necessary, but to stand in evangelism. Noah, building a boat. Up until this time, there doesn't seem to be any rain on the earth. Up until this time, 
seems that the way that the trees and the grass and the flowers are watered is like it says in Genesis that a mist comes out of the ground and waters the garden. They may not even know what a boat is. First boat, maybe. But Noah doesn't just build the boat. 2 Peter 2.5 would say, speaking of God, and God did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness. That Noah was preaching about this coming flood. Noah was preaching that something is coming that's going to wipe us all out. Noah was preaching something they had never heard and no doubt he was ridiculed and he was disparaged and nobody listened to him because Noah was and his family were the only ones on the ark, but he preached anyway. He shared the, the hope that there was a way to get in the boat. He shared it with others anyway. And what I would tell you is that we are called to share the gospel regardless of whether they hear or whether they listen or whether we're ridiculed or whether we're disparaged. We are called to stand in faith and we do that in part through evangelism. It is the mission that God has called us to be on. Whether people make fun of you, you believe this Jesus stuff, what's wrong with you? I thought you were smarter than that. You believe this Bible stuff, thought you were smarter. Noah ridiculed and disparaged building this boat, Noah, he's saying water's going to fall from the sky. But he was a preacher of righteousness anyway. i got to hurry. Fourthly, we stand in obedience. We stand in righteousness. We stand alone if necessary. We stand in evangelism. We stand in obedience. God gave Noah detailed instructions. He didn't say, Noah, just build you a vessel. Hope it survives this coming flood. But he gave him him detailed instructions. The Bible would say it this way, that it's supposed to be 300 cubits long. And a cubit, for those of you who are wondering, is roughly 18 inches It's the length for most people, at least of that day, from their elbow to the tip of their finger. 300 of those. 450 feet long. It's a giant boat. It's to be 15 cubits high with three stories in it. Three levels. 45 feet high. 75 feet wide. It's got to be made of gopher wood. I know maple's lighter, Noah, but that's not what we're doing here. I know there's oak trees, Noah, but no, you got to do it with gopher wood. And Noah, I know it's messy, but you got to have some pitch. And you got to pitch it on the outside, and you've got to pitch it on the inside, and it's going to have just one door. And it's going to have a roof, and that roof is going to come within one cubit of the top all the way around for ventilation and Noah 
Here's the details. And Noah built the ark following the specifications that God gave him. There are other flood stories out there. All major cultures have an oral tradition that go back to the flood. The difference between their flood stories and the Bible is this, that all of them have a different type of vessel that was supposed to survive the flood. For some, it was a giant raft. Others, it was some kind of round, circular boat. If you study it, you can find these, whether it's South American cultures or whether it's Chinese cultures, where you can find them all over the world because ultimately everybody goes back to the flood. Because after the flood, there's only one family there. Everybody goes back and that story of the world being destroyed by water, they've passed it down from generation to generation except they didn't have it in writing and it wasn't ordained by God so their stories don't line up. But when scientists would do tests on the various vessels that these cultures would say were created, there's only one that could survive the simulation. The raft sank and broke up, and the circular boat, it sank and broke up, and every other vessel, except for this boat, pitched inside and out that's 450 feet long and 45 feet tall and 75 feet wide. That it rode the waves of the great flood and it alone survived. Noah, you know, you probably shouldn't do that. We don't, we're running out of gopher wood. No, I got to do it like he said. And I would tell you that the Bible is our instruction manual that tells us what we're to do. It tells us how to live. In fact, some would make an acronym of it or an acrostic and say basic instructions before leaving earth. It is God's basic instructions for us, how He wants us to live. And our our obedience is directly tied to our faith. If we don't believe His Word, then we're not going to obey it. If we don't believe He's going to do what He said He was going to do, then we're not going to live like He wants. But if we believe what God has said and if we believe that He means what He says, then then we will obey His commands and we will obey His Word and we will follow God's Word. The Bible does not only contain God's Word, it is God's Word. And lastly, and my time is already up, standing in faith means we stand for the long haul. Noah, I want you to build a boat, Noah, because I'm going to destroy the world. When are you going to do it, God? When you finish the boat. I'm going to give you time, Noah, to finish the boat. I'm not going to come and destroy the world. Until you finish.
the boat. It took Noah 120 years to build the ark. Maybe he was able to hire somebody else. Maybe it was only his three sons. Gathering, finding the trees, chopping them down. Shaping the logs, getting them to the building site. Putting them just so. Cutting them to the right length and getting it all put together and coating it inside and out. 120 years. Peter wrote, speaking of that time and speaking of the people, and he says this, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. God held his judgment back while he waited on Noah to finish the ark. God, let's just get this wrapped up. We just want to be done. I don't know when he's coming or when I will pass off this scene, but it is imperative that I stand in faith, not only today, not only for yesterday and the years past, but I got to stand in faith no matter how long it takes until I pass off the scene or he comes back for me. That it's not a starting in faith, it's finishing in faith. Ecclesiastes 7 and 8 would say finishing is better than starting. So it's not about just starting well. It's not about starting in faith. It's about standing in faith and living the way He wants me to until He comes. And understand this, that when we stand for God, He will stand for us. Would you stand together? That when we stand for Him, He's going to stand for us. When you stand for Him, He will stand for you. That when you stand in faith, you will find favor with God. That when you stand in righteousness, and when you stand alone, and when you stand in evangelism, and you stand for the long haul, you will find favor with God, and He's going to bless you in your relationships, and He's going to bless you on the job, and He's going to bless you financially. He's going to give you favor with your peers and He's going to give you favor with your bosses and He's going to give you favor at school. Noah was a righteous man and he found favor because he stood in faith for the God who created him. And when we stand in faith, not only will we find favor, but we're going to find salvation. And we're going to find salvation for ourselves that we stand for Him and we have the assurance that He's going to take us to live with Him forever. We have the hope of an eternal life with Jesus Christ forever. But not only are we going to find salvation for us, but we're going to see our families saved. We're going to see others saved because we stood in faith and we shared the gospel. The writer of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 7, By faith Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared 
an ark for the salvation of his household. If Noah doesn't build the ark and Noah doesn't follow God's commands, Noah's family doesn't get saved. Noah built the ark to the saving of his household. He stood in faith and through that he condemned the world. And he became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. I don't know about you, but I want to stand in faith. I want to still be standing when Jesus comes. I still want to be living the truth. I still want to be believing the truth and following the truth. I still want to be sharing the good news about Jesus, that there's hope for somebody else, and it's not just hope for me me alone. It's not just hope for this congregation, but there is hope for everyone in this world who will turn and commit their life to Jesus Christ. Would you come around the front just for a few minutes? We're over time. I've preached 33 minutes. When we see people that we know are saved, and we know that they will have found salvation because of us. It's going to be worth it all. Well, would you just lift your voice, your hands right now to the Lord, and would you ask Him work in you? Jesus, we want to stand in faith, Lord. We don't want to waver. We don't want to turn our back on You. God, we don't want to just start well, but we want to finish well. We want to stand in righteousness, Lord. We want to stand... Lord, like you want us to, and Lord, if that means we stand alone, then we do it. That means if we stand alone, Lord, we're willing to do that because we believe you and we trust you. We're putting our faith in you and you alone. God, we give you praise. We give you praise. We give you praise.